just one. So, Matthew chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 2, and you'll notice in your bulletin there's a typo. Please excuse that. It should be Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You'll see Romans 2 is printed in your bulletin, but we'll be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So, if you would, please give your attention to God's Word. Would you stand with me as we read it together? Matthew chapter 5, first beginning at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Would you raise your hand if you have ever sent a kid off to college or you know somebody who has sent a child off to college. Anybody in here? I've been told that one of the hardest times in a marriage is actually the year after you send your children, your last child, off to college. And I've been told that because husbands and wives, all of a sudden, after years, 18 years, perhaps more if you had more than one child, have been pouring their life into their children And then after the last child goes to college, they come back into this, what used to be a chaotic house full of memories and people and noises and sounds. And there they are, husband and wife, just like it all started, in the living room, on the couch, looking eye to eye together. And I've been told it's a hard year because all of a sudden, what began to be what was a beautiful community that gave birth to, literally birth to children and sent them off to college, now is back at that community once again, and they're looking each other in the eye saying, um, who are you? (laughs) We're not the same as we once were. And quite frankly, if I can speak to you very honestly as your pastor, I feel a little bit like that's happening in our church. Like, I feel a little bit like we have invested an enormous amount of energy and time and of our vision into the idea of church planting, and we did that in 2015. And then we did it again just last week. We sent Bartlesville off to, uh, we sent Three Rivers to Grand Lake, and then we just sent Bartlesville away, and there, those 50 folks are now planting a church in Beeville. 
it is a wonderful thing to plant churches. It is a wonderful vision and mission of God's church. And he grows his church throughout the region by planting gospel-centered churches like he has afforded us the amazing privilege to do. And now we are like husband and wife, just Owasso and Tulsa, just like we were in the beginning, kind of looking at each other going, huh, I don't know if I know you. And frankly, our church has grown, and so there are a lot of new faces here, so that some of the people who began this church in 2011, that first core group, looks around church on a Sunday, and there's tons of faces they don't know. And so the session, and Pastor Scott and I feel an overwhelming sense that this spring needs to be a time when we think about community together. And what it means for us as a church to invest our energy and time into each other, into our community groups, into our community in Owasso and in Tulsa and in Collinsville, into the core of who Trinity has always been. And though we have not been distracted by church planting, we've had the privilege of church planting with great intentionality. Now we're back together to think about community. And what is Christian community? That's the question I want to talk about this morning. When I was preparing for this sermon, I just wrote down on a piece of paper, why do I want us to learn what it means to be a community? And I'm just going to give you some of the things that I thought of. Number one, marriages in our church are asking for help too late. We need to be a church that invites people to talk about their struggles earlier in their marriage, not wait until we're on life support. Two, it teaches our children how to have friends especially friends that may disagree with them. Three, it deepens our existing relationships. Four, it forges new relationships. There are people in this room who don't really know each other, and as your pastor, I know almost all of you. And there are dear brothers and sisters. I just want to get together. Like the connector in me just wants to put, because you are awesome. And so it forges new relationships. Uh, five, it helps us in our self-awareness, and it sharpens us in our tendencies to isolate from one another. Six, it promotes and protects a healthy civil discourse in and outside of our church when we understand the nature of biblical community together. Seven, this frankly should be all that we need. Jesus commands us to be a community. Eight, it helps us understand Jesus' earthly ministry better. Nine, it's a powerful apologetic for the gospel in and to the world just by being a gospel-shaped community in and of ourself. That's evangelistic. Ten, it makes us beautiful as Christ's body in the world. Eleven, it deepens our faith and trust that God is really good because it forces us to be able to extend forgiveness and to repent together. And then 12, it provides a structure for an an enduring sense of accountability among members. I could go on, but I'll stop. Jesus did not only teach about community, but he formed a community himself. His disciples were not simply individual learners who needed to get together in order to learn and hear from him. But Jesus formed the disciples into a community that was to be a pilot demonstration to the world of what the kingdom of God could be like. In the relationship to one another, in the way that they related together with the rest of the world, they were the model for what transformation in the gospel looked like before the world. And so, I want us to look at what community is. According to Jesus, 
according to St. Peter and according to the Apostle Paul. Ask us why it's really important for us, and then think about the dynamics that are at work in our church trinity today. So first, what is community? Your handout, by the way, looks like a Mad Libs. There's so many fill in the blanks. So grab a pencil and a pen and get ready to write. At some point, I hope you put down your pencil because you start to worship, but use your pencil to get you started. Number one, first, Jesus. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 and 16, Jesus tells us that we are a city on a hill whose behavior shines out and shows the world the glory of God. And What does it mean for Christians to be a city that the world can see on a hill or on a mountain? It's really, it's quite amazing, actually. It means that Trinity is to be an alternate community, an alternate suburb, an alternate city in the midst of our area, that we are to be an alternative community that does not only worship different, but that does everything about life different, from the way that we spend our money to the way that we uh, foster good marriages to the way that we hold each other accountable to the way that we mutually encourage us in raising our children. Are you with me? Please say I am. Are you with me? We need to be an alternative community for the entire region to see. And we are to reach out into our community and bring people in. So that Trinity begins to look like all of Northeast Oklahoma. It doesn't just look like the upper middle class part of Northeast Oklahoma. That we should reflect what our community is. And until we actually reflect that, you may say you believe the gospel. You may say you confess your faith. You may, but you haven't shown it. You haven't become the gospel community that Christ calls us to be. Jesus wants us to know that from the way that we uh, raise our kids to the way that we do business, to our economic life, to our sexuality, to our art, to our race relations, to our respect for human life, to our conflict resolution, to the way that we share material things, everything should be a model to the world of an alternate way of doing life. And so, Jesus says that you cannot be an alternate city by yourself which is what all of our tendencies are to do. And we read the Sermon on the Mount almost like an individual moral code of what you must do. That's not the way it was written. The city, becoming a city on a hill, comes very early in the Sermon on the Mount, as we looked at a couple of years ago when we studied this. And you are to read the Sermon on the Mount as a corporate and communal command to this is the kind of community we are to be. And so, in sum, Jesus expects, on your handout, first blank, Jesus expects Trinity to be an alternate, alternative community that does life differently than the world. Jesus expects Trinity to be an alternative community that does life differently from the world. Second, Peter. In First Peter chapter 2, He gives us a statement that's just as radical as the Sermon on the Mount about what community should be like. He says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When Peter calls us a holy nation, 
He is saying literally you are to be a distinct and unique spiritual ethnicity to the world. That is, he is saying you're to be holy. That is, to mean you're to be set apart. And that he's called you to be a new nation, which requires you to have some objectivity of the own subculture in which you live. So Jesus is saying he calls us in the church out of our creaturely comfort subcultures to be able to be in community with people from other nations, as it were, to be one completely new ethnicity, spiritually speaking. A club or an association around town that, that all of us are a part of in various ways have a bond that's based on one or two commonalities, but it is the church which is to be the model for the world of what true community looks like. Because only in the church can you get hunters and vegans together to become one. Only in the church can you all of a sudden have NASCAR and NPR together in the same church. Only in the church can you find people who have amazingly different, they're so erratically different that at worship on Sunday, people go, what? There's something unique about the bond that these people have. And it's not that they're all wearing khaki or have blazers or that they all have denim and they're all wearing plaid or they all have beards or they're all tattooed up. It's that we've got all of that because the gospel is what unifies our church. And it is the glue that holds us together because our righteousness is not our own. It's not our theological righteousness. It's not our behavior or our our ethic righteousness. It is the finished work of Jesus that binds us together. And you can find in the church both city boys and country boys singing together. And I long for that to be the case here so that the community itself, in and of itself, perhaps more than anything else in our region is the way that we lead evangelistically. I wish I had a survey of all the people who have come to Trinity who have said in one way or another to me, what they noticed about our church was that there was a real sense of community here. And I praise God for that. And that's not something to take pride in. That's something to fiercely protect. Not the idea of community itself do we try to protect, but we try to protect the gospel, which creates that kind of community. And that community becomes evangelistic. Because even yesterday, I was sitting at Wills and Thrills roller rink with my daughter and all of her friends at a birthday party, talking to a woman who is longing to find community in town. She's been a Christian her whole life. And she's telling me she did not know I was a pastor. And I like it when people don't know I'm a pastor because they talk to me like I'm normal. And she was telling me how she wanted to find uh, a church, and she just felt like, you know, this church is too big, this church is too small, this church is too weird, I, and she just wants a place where she can be normal. And I long for this place to be kind of like Planet Fitness, like there's a no-judgment zone. Like, you can come, and we really do believe that grace changes everything. You cannot obey the call to be a distinct culture by yourself. And Peter tells us that Christian community, blank number two, lifts us out of our comfort culture to make us distinct in our common union around the gospel. That it lifts us out of our comfort culture to make us distinct in our common union around the gospel. 
Jesus, Peter, third, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 12. In Romans uh, chapter 12, it's a famous passage that many of us uh, often read as individuals, thinking that it's a way for us to offer our body. But notice what the text actually says. If I can paraphrase it, I would say it like this. Present your collective bodies together as a single living sacrifice, holy and distinct and pleasing to God. And do this to show an alternative to the spirit that is at work in the world at large. Continually renew your mind in order to do this. Notice that Paul says, present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. The disagreement of singular and plural error is very intentional by the Apostle Paul. He says that we are to take our individual lives and behavior, and we are to unite them together as a corporate sacrifice. We are to become one unified body. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which means that the purpose of our body, our life together, is to have an alternative to the world's way of living and thinking. Our community is to be so carefully thought out, the renewal of your mind, that it forms an alternative way to live altogether. So that when you're raising your children in the gospel, you're not simply saying, son or daughter, hear the Ten Commandments. Please do these things and God will love you more. We want them to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. We want them to look and act in holiness and righteousness, just like Jesus. But we want them to get there by understanding that the gospel calls you individually into something bigger, into a community. And that is to shape and mold your life. Jesus, St. Peter, and the Apostle Paul all emphasize the corporate nature of the spiritual life. They call us into a community. And frankly, this, this is um, uh, something very hard for us to do. Paul says that we must continually, third blank, relearn that our Christian identity has a communal aspect that is in itself a demonstration of the gospel to the world. That we must continually relearn that our Christian identity has a communal aspect, that it is itself a demonstration of the gospel to the world. So if you do not want to be a community like this, if you do not want to be part of a risky, culturally unorthodox, unconventional, non-standard, oddball, out of sorts, different, radical, revolutionary nonconformist, avant-garde community, then you're going to find the gospel to you incredibly offensive and incredibly intrusive. Because the gospel pulls you out of your individuality into a community. It pulls you out of being alone into a body of Christ. And so here we are in the living room together after giving birth to our daughter Bartlesville 35 miles north. And we are called, again, to look at each other and say, do we want to be a part of this community together? And if so, let's move forward together in deeper community. Why is this important for us? Before I go there, let me just sum it up by saying this. The purpose of Jesus' salvation is to save individuals for a new alternative community 
a society that is a sign that Jesus is Lord and that he is going to redeem all creation. So that Christian community in the fullest sense, the most comprehensive sense, Christian community is the comprehensive and distinct way to be human in deep relationship with other Christians who are transformed by the gospel. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Why is this therefore important for Trinity? It's important, first of all, for our vision and our mission together. The quality of our community really is the secret to our vision. Seven years ago, when Lauren and I moved here to plant Trinity, there were 35 of you who had already been thinking about this long before we came together. But in Northeast Oklahoma, the leading edge of evangelism is the unity that you experience in corporate worship together. Because evangelism with your mouth in this area, quite frankly, is relatively cheap. Everybody does it. And we should continue to do it because the Holy Spirit uses evangelism, uses the proclamation of the gospel. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But one of the chief ways, the leading edge of evangelism in Northeast Oklahoma is actually to be the kind of church that Jesus calls us to be, to have that kind of communal identity, to long to love one another despite all our differences together, to be a new society for the world. And that's what we are called to be. It is there and it is important for our vision and our mission. We live in a city of character, as uh, the city says in Owasso, which is wonderful. It is a great theme for a city, by the way. I love it. It's awesome. But exceptional character in individuals does not really prove the reality of Christianity. Atheism and other religions also have the ability to produce individual heroes of unusual uh, and ethical uh, uh, standards to be people who are um, pretty amazing in and of themselves, very kind and generous. But what atheism and other religions cannot produce is the kind of the community that the gospel can. When the world sees an exceptional community that both is more convinced of Jesus' message and is far more inviting despite their failures, of bringing other people in, and of sharing grace together, of recognizing that they themselves can, in a healthy sense, be both self-confident because of Christ's love and acceptance of us, but also be humbled to the ground because we have no righteousness of our own. It allows us to be a community where there is truly no judgment. We can come together around His Word and allow the Holy Spirit and the mutual accountability of His Word lived out together to be what forms and molds us into something beautiful for Him. Jesus says that the main way that people will believe that Christians have found their love for God is in the quality of their unity, John 17. And when you look around the church these days, in our area, what do you see? You see churches that are relatively siloed. And within those churches, you have individuals who are relatively siloed. And it's our job to never put down other churches, but to 
and firm them and encourage them and strengthen those churches in our city that preach the gospel. And to remind ourselves that we are a very small room in the larger church in our area. And we don't have it all figured out. Nor is that, frankly, the point. But we're learning what it means to do life together because of the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, we don't need to be afraid of other churches. We need to be able to understand what they believe and perhaps what our differences are theologically and encourage them and embrace them. It is important to our vision and our mission. Jesus says that those who look at the church will know you by the quality of your unity. Secondly, why is the community important for Trinity? It's important for our learning and for our growing. As I've already said, Jesus did not educate his disciples in a classroom. He, did, he educated them in the context of community and in life together. And one of the ways we try to do that at Trinity is by inviting us in as many ways as possible into community groups. And community groups are for our church, not something that we do because it's the trendy thing to do. We do it because we believe it's biblical. And it is the leading edge. It is the front line of pastoral care in our church. And so I hope and pray that everybody here is in a community group. And that we actually run Scott over trying to sign up for one. And that some of you men and women who have gifts to lead community groups, who have been sitting on your hands or afraid of leading a community group, would have the courage to say, I'll try it. It's only for three months. I'll open my home and invite people in and help facilitate conversation based upon the sermon that was preached that morning. We need to be a church that's full of community groups and every member is a part of one. Not because it's just another thing that you do, like reading your Bible and like prayer. We don't just add it to our list of things to do, but because it is who we're called to be as a church. And if you profess the gospel with your lips, but you're not really in community, then you're just like every other upper middle class person in America who is constantly saying after every experience and every event, what did I get out of that? That's not the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is, what is Jesus doing in our midst together? And how can we get on board that train that is moving forward? And I want every single one of us to be on it. That's the gospel train. It's important for our learning and for our growing. Rather than create communities of learning where there was a, a classroom setting that's all intellectual, Jesus let the disciples develop over time in a community where they ate and breathed and did life together. And we try to structure that by doing three months on a community group, one month off, giving the community groups a chance to breathe, letting them reshuffle as they need to. But over time, we really do believe that's the way that you grow greater participation in community groups. You go for it for three months, you take a break. You go at it again. It refreshes community group leaders it encourages those members who were part of that community group because after that month break, they begin to long to meet together. It allows those who need to transition to a new group to do so without any fear of judgment or ruining friendships or breaking fellowship. It's very natural, and it, you will have overlap, and you'll have people change in those community groups over time. Would you please consider, if you're not part of a community group now, joining one? And allow the Holy Spirit to lower the barriers of entry for you so that you become part of one. It is important to our church, not just for our vision, 
not just for our learning and growing, but it's also for our behavior and practice. Far, far more of the Bible's ethical commands were given to the community, not the individual. The Ten Commandments was given to all of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. The Sermon on the Mount was given to the community of faith, the disciples, for them to bring and share with the world. Most of Jesus' ethical commands we read as individuals, but do you know in their context, they're corporate. Do you begin to live and think like that? Fathers, do you begin to think about your family as when you live out the gospel, it is, you are helping to shape your family in the way that you need your sons and your daughters, your wife, to help you obey Scripture because you do it together. And when you understand that there is a communal aspect to the gospel, it helps natu- accountability naturally happen because I need Lauren to help me see blind spots. I need Mike Phelps and Nathan Keltner and Paul Delorier and Will Parker and Jason Kreider. I need these brothers on the session to see my blind spots. And there's a mutual community of accountability and vulnerability and joy that's found there because we are both humbled to the dust because we don't deserve to be called Christians but also affirmed and given confidence to say we can with boldness be able to have healthy conflict because we are loved by a God who treasures us. Are you with me? If you're loved by the one whose eyes, frankly, are really the only ones that matter in the universe, it makes you incredibly bold to say hard things to each other that need to be said, but we tend not to do it because we don't want to have our feelings hurt. The gospel is important for our church, Please stay with me because it's important to our vision and mission. It's important to our learning and growing. It's important for our behavior and for our practice. And this really honestly makes a lot of common sense. Because unless we make ourselves accountable to a body of believers, you just continually beat yourself up because you can't do what the Bible says you're supposed to do, can you? And you tend to just get frustrated with yourself because you can't. You, you've broken the Ten Commandments again. You've broken one of the ten. But when you have a body, it creates a kind of accountability that calls you together to help you see your own blind spots and your own tendencies. And secondly, the, the Bible assumes that you're communal because the Bible is uh, frustratingly general in its commands, isn't it? Has that ever bothered you? Like, go live your life for Christ. And then it gives us, like, these general commands. What do I, how much should I give to the Christmas offering? What kind of car should I buy? Where should I build my house? What kind of house should I build? Should I spend my money on this? What should I? Scripture doesn't tell you those kind of specific answers. Do you know why? Because Jesus always intended you to work out the application of the gospel where? In community. So with these general principles and commands of Scripture, you bring it to the community and you say, I, guys, I am, I'm being approached by people who are offering me jobs and need to know if this is wisdom. Would you help me think about it? Or I, we're thinking about buying one of two houses. One is relatively large that we are attracted to because we like it. It's so big. It's wonderful. It's got a home theater in it. The other one is relatively small. It's in a different neighborhood. We can give more. What should we do? That's a beautiful thing to talk about as a community, to let people in. And frankly, that's a hard thing to do because we would rather talk about our sex life as a married couple than talk about our money. And that, too, is a huge cultural idol that we have to, over time, we can't be unrealistic, be able to develop a sense of community where nothing 
is off limits in the way that we are able to apply the gospel to our life. Now, I'm not saying you should talk about all the deep, dark details of your personal life. What I am saying is that the application of the gospel should be worked out together in community. And as you do that, you'll find yourself becoming more human and more fulfilled and more joyful because that is what Christ has called us to be as Christians. All right, stay with me. The gospel creates a whole new self-identity for us. And for the dynamics that we see at Trinity, we find ourselves to be individual Christians who come together to this young church to be a part of it. And he calls us as a church to work out those dynamics together. And we are able to do that because to the degree that we are functionally still earning our worth through our performance— to the degree that we still rate ourselves based upon our self-righteousness. That is the degree to which I will be either operating out of a superiority complex toward others or an inferiority complex. That is, if I continue to obey the law that I've set up for myself that makes me a good Christian, when I do that well, I have a sense of superiority over other people who may not know what I know, who may not be as moral as I am. Or when we fail that test, we have a sense of disdain or inferiority about ourselves, And we feel like we're just not that good. But the gospel blows that dynamic out of the park. So it, does, it says, get rid of your legalism. And don't go toward license either, but be centered on the gospel that says your identity makes you both incredibly self-confident because your Savior, the only eyes of the universe that counts, loves you and sings over you. And treasures you. And at the same time, you can be incredibly humble and teachable because you did nothing to earn your salvation. That's the gospel dynamic at our church that brings us together. A bold, boldness and a humility together. And they kiss whenever you get the gospel. The gospel creates a whole new radical sense of bold humility for us. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards says that until we have experienced grace, everything that we do is out of self-love. We don't work for the sake of others. We work for the sake of ourself, what we get out of it. We're doing it all to bolster our own self-image, to, der- to, der- uh, to derive from us, for us, from other people. So that all of our relationships are about me. How can I use this person so that I can get out of it? How can I use this person so that I can get a step up? But the gospel calls us to serve others for others' sake. To say that I'm not serving you so that what I can get out of it. I'm serving you for your sake and for the glory of the church's sake. And I can do that because the love of Christ so overwhelms me that my self-confidence or identity doesn't go down. It just gets applied. And the fundamental challenge for us is to understand how we can be this kind of dynamic, gospel-centered community that becomes an alternative to the way that Owasso and Tulsa operates in the world. That is the leading edge of our evangelism, of our vision, of our learning, of our ethics. Jesus taught us to do that. Peter taught us to do that. Paul taught us to do that.
And so here we are in the living room together after seeing our child, Hope Bartlesville, leave the house, looking again at each, at each other eye to eye and asking ourselves really honest questions. Do we want to be a church like that, radically, culturally unorthodox, risky? Do we want the gospel to be centered in our life? Because in some, Jesus expects Trinity to be an alternative community that does life differently than the world. In some, Christian community lifts us out of our comfort culture to make us distinct in our common union around the gospel. In conclusion, we must continue to relearn that our Christian identity has a communal aspect that is a demonstration of the gospel to the world in itself because Christian community is the comprehensive and distinct way to be human in deep relationship with other Christians who are transformed by the gospel. And so the gospel gives us a boldness and a humility that do not eat each other up, but only spreads itself out in love. And we can do this because we are covered not with our own righteousness, but we are covered with the righteousness of Christ, who wasn't brought in, but who was pushed outside of the gate, who was the one who was isolated, abandoned at the cross, so that we who are abandoned and isolated in all of our comfort creatures, uh, comfort seeking, might be brought into the gospel of grace, so that we might be able to say, Christ was sent outside the gate so that we can be brought in, so that we can come together and we can be a witness to the world. Does that sound good to you? I long to be a church like that. And I hope you do too. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'll help us to be a church that is an alternative society that does everything different. Lord Christ, thank you that your righteousness covers us and that by faith in your finished work, you give us that which we could never earn, a relationship with God. And we thank you that it is his body, bound and drenched in tears, laid down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, the Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise, O oh Lord, O oh Lord our God. And we thank you that on the third at the break of day, the Son of Heaven rose again and trampled death Oh, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days, Father, we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God, help us to be your community, your hands and feet in the world. Through the finished work of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.